hey, we got the kingdom of God coming uh, to earth. We've been in a series over the last little bit, over the last few weeks, uh, talking about that through the Gospels, teaching about Jesus' major announcement. His life's announcement was what? Let's see how we're doing. What was Jesus' life announcement? The kingdom of God has come, right? That's Jesus, the point of Jesus' life, his whole major announcement for who he was as a, as a human was that the kingdom of God has come, that there's new life, there's a new reality that you can experience life in. And it's the reality, it's the life that you were meant to live, it's the life that you were created to live. And for us as Community Covenant Church, what we want to do is take a second and, and just say, well, what does that look like for us communally? Uh, we've been talking the last four weeks about what that looks like for you personally, that God is uh, inviting you into a kingdom that's graceful. He's inviting you into a kingdom that's prayerful. He wants to walk in relationship with you. He wa- he, like he, he's inviting you into a type of kingdom that, that doesn't, allow, doesn't need you to perform, that he loves you just as you are right now, and, and, and he's inviting you into a kingdom that has all sorts of new realities for your life. Uh, but what does that look like for us as a church? And how does it look like when it comes to this toward, sort of missional aspect of, of us as people? Um, what does that look like here and in the, in the here and the now? We, we've been talking about this for really three years. I, I've been the, the pastor here for three years. And, and we've talked about worship and what it's like to have our identity found in no one else except for Jesus Christ. And that our worship is rooted and based in him and how the story of the Bible informs all things. We talked about community. We spent the whole year on what it's like to be in healthy relationship with other people and, and, and how we are a church that's not just with each other on Sundays, but we're for each other. We're building into each other the life of Christ. And so we, and we talked about mission. Last year we spent months and months and months asking God just to direct us and guide us, that we weren't going to move without his presence, um, that we wanted him to tell us just the major buckets that we should focus on. And man, we've had over 500 people, 500 responses to different surveys, a lot of people really engaging with all of that. We came up with these four buckets, and we'll talk about them in a second, but we talked about that in the fall. And so what comes down to is like, well, what's next? What's next, right? A lot of times you think, okay, what's, what's the next thing? And you know what the next thing really comes down to is obeying. It's just obeying. And it's doing something. You know, sometimes we, we get so caught up, stuck in this idea that, that God is like, that we just need to keep finding what God thinks about things. And sometimes we, we feel like, oh, what do, what's God's will here? You know, sometimes God's will in the season of our life is not to search for him, but it's to obey him. Are we, are we tracking on that? Is that not like a kind of a weird statement here? Today? I don't know. I feel like you're distant today. I don't know. You're getting ready for the game. It's all right. We're here. We've got about 10 minutes. But sometimes instead of like pleading for him to answer us, as we mature as Christians, it's not so much about that plea and not so much about that time of searching, but about the time of doing. Like God gave you what to do. And sometimes it's weird because it feels like God's distant at that time, but it's not. He's walking right by you, doing the things that he's asked us to do. And he's walking, he's empowering us to do that work that he's already starting and he's asked us to participate in. And so it's really crucial that we begin to take those steps together as a church. And it's really crucial that we begin to build into our community a sense of unity. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And so if we want to grab your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be on page number 983 uh, together. 
And, uh, and we're going to hang out there just for a little bit <clears throat> and talk about what this concept of, of unity will look like around the mission of God, the work of God, the work that God's already started. So we go to Philippians 2, page number 983. And here's what I think uh, Paul is going to teach us, the Apostle Paul, and through this letter to the Philippian church, is going to teach us is that our communal unity is a direct result of our personal humility. Our, our communal unity, or who we are as a church, is a direct result about the humility that's happening in you right now. And so that's going to be something we're going to interact with. So Philippians chapter 2. Here's just a couple things kind of leading up to the entire thing. The church of Philippi, Paul, was like the, they were like best friends, like old friends. And Paul's right now in a prison writing this, and he's got a lot of joy. He's got a lot of joy because he's remembering his friends in the Philippian church. And the Philippian church is probably sending him gifts and interacting with him and loving on him, um, even in the midst of these tough circumstances. And he just so, he says it in Philippians 1, I'm so thankful for you. As a church, I'm so thankful for who you are. And then right in Philippians 1.27, he gives them like the major announcement for this letter. It says, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith. So he's announcing to them, hey, whether I'm with you or I'm not, I believe that you can be a church that's one in faith, one in this fight for faith, that together with purpose, you will continue in the work that we started. And then he goes, he continues, verse 28 and 29, he begins to talk to them about an external threat. He says, he says this unity that you're going to build together as a church is going to be a symbol that you're not defeated when enemies try to attack you as a church. This, remember, you've got to remember in the first century, it wasn't like the cool thing to be a Christian. <laughs> like, and, it, like, and not as in today, like where you might get made fun of or something like that, but you could die, right? Like there are things that would happen to you because of your stated belief. And so they often talked about, hey, uh, you know, just, I know you're going to be belief, but just remember that that could happen, right? And so this enemy potentially, you know, uh, is an external threat for them. But then he shifts, and in Philippians 2, 1 through really 18, he shifts from an external threat, which he only spends two verses on, and from, from an external threat to an internal threat. That the thing that really is, is uh, like threatening the health and the life of this church, this really awesome church, this really joyful church, this, really, this church that's working well, it's, is really the unity that they experience together. That's the internal threat. And, and, and it's actually really important to Paul because he spends more time on it than he does the external threat. And so this is what he says. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate that make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose? Don't be selfish don't try to impress other people. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And so that's the starting point. But he's going to teach us, build into this church what it looks like to be unified around a few things. So we're just going to make a few points here to get together today about what the unity of a church looks like. 
what the unity and the, really the plea of unity that Paul is talking about. And I just let me give you a caveat here. This is not, I'm not saying this because we're experiencing disunity. It's me saying, hey, we need to stay unified as we move throughout the year. We might not have all sorts of little problems and fires to put out, and that's okay. Sometimes churches are like, what? Everything's working right? What in the world? What's going on? No, that, that's funny to me, but I, like, I'm like, you know, sometimes they freak out, and they're like, oh, no, what do we do? No, it's working. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's going great. So let's stay unified on the mission and on the vision. Amen? All right? So just a few things on that. Number one is the basis for unity. Is it right in verse one? He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? What I love about this is that it's really the basis of, the, 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 of unity is your experience with Christ. Your basis for unifying and experiencing health, a, health, a health in a church for you to be a healthy contributor to the life of God's local church, is it, the basis of that is your relationship with him. So here's a few of the questions that he asked if you go to the next slide. Have you ever been encouraged from belonging to Christ? Let me ask you that. Have you ever been encouraged by that? Okay, three of you. Praise God. We're going to be really unified here today. Encouragement from belonging to Christ. Have you ever been comforted from the Father's love? Right? Have you ever had fellowship together in the Spirit? Fellowship as a church together in the Holy Spirit, Right? And then what I love about this one is that do you have any tenderness and compassion? This is Paul pretty much saying, are you human? Do you have a heart? And you're like, of course I have a heart. Do you have any tenderness or compassion in you at all? He says, well, then what? The basis of unity is this, you can see Paul's theology here too, it's this Trinitarian understanding. You have the, the, the work of Christ, the work of the Father, the work of the Spirit, and, and us finding our way into that movement. So our heart, our compassion, our tenderness, and our experience with the Godhead in this, this self-fulfilling love that's overpouring out of them into who we are as people, living life the way we're created to be. You see this all packed together here, that the basis of our unity is not what you like, but it's based off who God is. And so the basis of our unity together as a church is always and will always be Jesus. And it will always be the words that he's taught us. It will always be the relationships that we can foster because of the fellowship in the Spirit. For some of you, you remember my first day here as a senior pastor where I walked out into the middle of the worship center and just held the Bible up in the air, and I said, this is who we are. Like, this is it. This is it. We're just going to do our best over the next however many, time, however many years together to explore who Jesus is and to live the way he said is possible to live. That's what the life of Christ is. That's what the, what the church is for, and we're going to do as best we can to invite people into that. And so the Trinitarian God is pouring out his love for all people through us as a local church. The basis of our unity is not our preference, but it's, a, it's on a person named Jesus. And so we, our, our whole understanding of this, and have you ever been encouraged? Have you ever been comforted? Have you ever had fellowship? Have you, do you have any tenderness and compassion? Then be unified. I love that. So he says the basis of our unity is, is really on our experience with Christ. And he continues. He said, really, the, 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 the exhortation of unity continues. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind 
and purpose. And so, so there, you can see there's like a sense of maturity in this church. There's a sense of maturity. There's growth. There's roots growing, reach happening. There's all sorts of things taking place. There's all sorts of health taking on. He just wants to exhort them. Make me happy. Just, if, if you're doing it for nobody else, do it for me. Right? Do it for me. Just, just agree with each other. And so when you go towards this, this understanding, this next part, this, this, the, the, if you go to the next slide, Chris, the exhortation of you, you need to go to the next one, um, is that when we work towards unity together, we can agree with each other. We can love each other. We can work together. And we can have one mind and purpose. Sometimes this freaks churches out when this actually happens. It's Paul's exhortation to churches, but sometimes as local churches, we're like, wow, everyone really agrees with each other right now. Or, man, I can't believe how much we love each other or how much we work together. We have one mind and purpose. And sometimes that freaks us out because there's not like this little thing, like, no, things are supposed to be a little bit difficult. We're supposed to be really just trying to bear with each other. No, no, no. He says, man, agree with each other. It's okay. Love each other, work together, have one mind and purpose. And so for me as a, as a pastor, I always look towards four areas of unity when we're building this into some sort of area. There's theological unity, which is the why. It's the, it's the foundation, it's the doctrine, it's our close-handed, even some of our open-handed. It's, the, it's what's forming us as a church, our theology. You have missiological unity. That's a really churchy word for just what we're doing. Right? It's the mission of the church. Um, there's philosophical unity, like, okay, we have a mission, well, how does that get done? Right? And then you have relational unity. When, when sometimes the church will have all three of these set for them, and they just don't like each other. Right? And some of you have been to churches like this. You're like, man, we crystal clear, people in places changed by Christ. Awesome stuff going on. Like, we got all this stuff happening. Uh, we even know how that's going to happen. Right? Nice traditional service or contemporary service or all these different things. But man, we just don't like the people we're doing it with. And that's not, even Jesus wants us to have this type of interaction, this fellowship in the spirit. And so for us as a church, we've always broken down our mission, vision, vision values, and, and structure this way, where the mission of the church is to see people and places changed by Christ. People on a personal level, places on a cosmic level. The Bible has a meta-narrative, this overarching announcement that God is putting all things back together, and he's doing it in the hearts of all these people. And so there's big regional implications for that, and there's really personal interactions with that. And so we want to see both people and places changed by Christ when we're formed and shaped by him. And so how we see that happen is when every member of the church is on mission to see 300 baptized, 250 growing, 50% serving, 1,000 unique kids. This is something that came from you. This wasn't Brandon sitting in his office. It wasn't Connie saying, hey, this is what we should do. It wasn't our elders uh, just, it was, it wasn't our elders just thinking, okay, what's next? This is our church saying, man, it's probably awesome that we baptize people because that's where people are announcing their faith in Christ. It's probably awesome that we have people connecting into the church and growing in groups and growth track. Serving is really important. And so whether it's serving with your, your time, with your finances, wherever the case is, and man, we just love kids. Don't we love kids at our church? We love kids. And so we want to see a 1,000 unique kids over the next three to five years meet Jesus on their level through our kids and our students' programs. And so this is, what I love about this is that I, like, I didn't tell you that's what we should do. We spent nine months figuring that out. And it's, it basically, you look at it, we had 
Some people are like, oh, I feel like that's what the church should do. <laughs> yeah, that's what should, the church should do. But what I love is that it comes out from the, the roots of who we are to say, okay, man, we just want to see the work of Christ happen. We just want to see this stuff take place. Like the Bible talks about it. We want to see it happen in our space, in our time, in our place now. And so that's our vision, just to see these things take place in the life of people. And we have our values, we believe this vision will happen when we become people of worship and our identity and our pursuit is of Christ and Christ alone. We, when we become people of community, we have interdependent relationships with each other. And then when we become people of mission, like we're not just worshipers, we're not just communers, but we actually have a point and a purpose to our, our existence and our life together. And then lastly, it's within the structure that we will always be Christ-centered. And so we're going to go to Christ. We're going to discern what he wants us to do as a church. We're elder-governed, we're staff-led, and then volunteer-operated. And so we're all moving together as missionaries towards this goal to see people and places changed. Are, are, are we tracking this so far? Right? Are we, are we good? We get, this is stuff that we, we talk about all the time because sometimes we just forget. That's what we do. But this is who we are as a church. It's like the back of a napkin type of approach. And we just say, God, can you keep us unified on this stuff? Right? Okay, like, hey, I got this great idea. Well, let's continue to make it work within our structure. Let's continue to make it work within our unity. Let's continue to make it work as we take steps together. It's great. Let's, let's, let's do the work that God has been doing in our church together. And so he, he says, I want you to have unity. I want you to have one mind and purpose. I want you to agree with each other. I want you to love each other because this is, what, this is how important loving each other as a church is. Look at 1 John 4. It says this, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, he talks about sending Jesus on to, to, to die and resurrect for us, we surely ought to love each other. Don't you, don't you love it? He just ties it, right? So like, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Right? Yes, I do believe that. Well, then you ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression. So you want, it's almost like he's saying, do you want to see God? Look at how a church loves each other. You want to love, you want to love God? Look at the way that a church loves each other. It's so important. So he exhorts them. He continues. And he says this, I, 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 the basis of unity, the exhortation of unity, but he says, I want to cultivate unity as a church. How do we cultivate it? And I, I can't read the whole thing. But look at what he says, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. This is so awesome. If you go to the next slide, you have this difference between pride and humility. He says, hey, don't be selfish and don't try to impress. Selfishness is this like internal battle. An impression is an external one. I got to impress people. Well, which one are you? If pride bends you some way, which one do you typically go to? Do you try to go to impression or do you just like stew inwardly? He says, no, what I want you to do, I want you to counter that. And I want you to start thinking of other people more than you. Think of others as more important as you are. So I want your thinking game to change. But then I also want you to start looking to serve other people. I want you to start looking towards the interest. Don't look at only for your interest, but take an interest in others too. I want you to look for that stuff. So there's this internal 
thought that, man, you're more important than I am. And there's this external looking. I need to serve you. In other parts of the Bible, it says, I need to outdo you in showing honor. It says that you, you want to build... So if our church's communal unity is built off our personal humility, which one do we need to grow in? Are, are we internal thinkers? Are we externally looking? What God wants us to do as, as people is have our heart and our mind and our hands all line up together in showing love for all people. So which one do we need to grow in? Are we just internally stewing? Someone sitting in my chair today? God, I hope, I hope I, that never happens. Uh, maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe your internal thing. I don't hear about it anyway. You guys do a good job hiding it. But, 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 there's, but there's no one that, we don't argue like that. I love that about our church. Like the things that are just like very like sacred cowish sometimes when it comes to churches don't exist here. And I love that. I thank God for that. Because that's when you actually see the mission of God take place is when we stop fighting with each other, start agreeing with each other, and start pursuing Christ together. Can I get an amen? Come on. So we have to cultivate humility as a church. This is what 1 Peter 5 says. It says, Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Moses, Moses is talked about in, number 12, as, in Numbers 12. as the In Numbers 12. Check that out. Um, in Numbers 12, as the most humble man that's ever walked the face of the earth. And you know what the Bible talks about him as? The most intimate person with God. Humility gets you intimacy with God. The humble you are, the more humble you are, the more you humble yourself under God's mighty hand and you allow him to work in you, the more you will see his grace poured out on you. And so lastly, you have the basis of unity. It's our expression with Christ, our experience with who he is. You have this, this, this cultivation of humility. You have this exhortation to be unified. But lastly, it's this application of unity. It says this in, in verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. He says, I want you to show the results. Show the results of all that God has been doing in you for the last three years, for the last year and a half, every time I talk to one of you, there's not been one person that has not had a significant experience with God over the last three to five years. I love that. But he says, show the results of that work. Don't let that just be stuck in your prayer closet. Show it off. Like, like allow that expression to be in your life. Let it continue to work. But he continues, he says this, do everything without complaining and arguing. We fail, right? Just let's go to the altar on that one right there. So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shine like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. What I love about this is Paul's not talking, like the Bible didn't exist when he wrote this, right? So he's not saying, hold, cling on to the Bible. He's saying, cling on to Jesus, now, we know Jesus through the scriptures. But he's saying, cling on to Jesus, the person of who he is. Meet him, know him, love him, let him work in your life. He says, hold firmly to Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. 
but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share your joy. So, so we have this results. Don't, don't grumble and complain. How are, how are you doing with that and your humility? When you're in your life, are you a grumbler and a complainer? When you're driving, are you a grumbler and a complainer? When you're paying taxes, are you a grumbler and a complainer? Are you building, are you humbling yourself before the Lord? Are you living a clean and innocent life? I, I talk about this all the time. Give someone your phone and say, look, look, look at it. Just look through it. You ever get that check and you're like, oh, no, don't look at my phone? Are you living just a clean, innocent? I, I promise you it's a simpler, awesome way to live, to just live a clean and innocent life before the Lord. Are you holding firmly to Jesus? Is he the center of your life? Like, is that who you are as a person? And are you rejoicing through service and faithfulness? Like that's a way, you're going to throw a party for the Super Bowl. You're going to throw a party for birthdays. You're going to celebrate people by, by having weddings. Are you celebrating Jesus through service and faithfulness to him? As a church, just two things that I think we should do this year to stay unified. First one is to own, own your identity. Own your identity in Christ. Own your theology. Own your relationships. Own your church like, this is not just some place you go on, but this is something we love. This is a community of people that we love. Own your identity. Don't be afraid to state claims on it. Don't be afraid to make statements on it. Don't be afraid to be, like, uh, like to, to, to not own it, to make separation a little bit. Own your identity as a follower of Christ. Own your identity as, a the, as someone with a specific theology. Own your identity as a, relator, as a relating person with other people as a way to help us do that, just to stay connected on that. We're going to launch a new website. A lot of people you know, have been asking about this over the last little bit. We're going to launch a website over the next, by noontime tomorrow, it'll be live. And in it is going to be this thing called a guidebook. And it's going to be everything that we have up to this point about who we are as a church. Our mission, our vision, our theology, our distinctives, even how to get out of the building safe in case there's a fire. Like literally everything. We want you to just have it. We'll send that out to you uh, in email as well. But we're going to have a guidebook that's just to help us stay unified. This is who we are. And the next thing is just to take your next step. Everyone's got a card every single week in front of them, in their, in their, in their seat back in front of them or out there in the lobby. And every year we think, okay, I could check off every single one of these and try to, but I just say just this year, check one off and do it. Some of you haven't been baptized yet and haven't publicly announced that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. This is your year to do that. This is your year to do that. Some of you, maybe it's like joining a group because you need to get away from that you've been attending for a long time, but, you, but or, or maybe you've like joined a group for a long time and got maybe starting another one and helping other people connect. Some of you need to receive care. You're in a moment right now where you're like, I don't care what you're talking about, Brandon, because I'm in pain. And Jesus wants that too. Sometimes we, we want to change the oil in our car, that's maintenance, but sometimes we need a mechanic that needs to change the alternator or needs to really care for something in our car. Get care if you need care. 
Join a team. Like, like engage in the mission. Give if you're not giving. Trust God with your finances. You're not the most trustworthy person in your life, and thank God for that. Amen? And lastly, you can invite. If, you, if you're like, got it, done it, done all this, I promise you, if you pray for one every single morning and actually expect God to answer that, your life will never be the same. God, give me one person to share your love with today. Some of you, you you'll, you're very good on Facebook about all sorts of different things. Share the love of Christ with someone this week. Take a next step. And we're going to stay unified as a church. It's going to work. And it's going to feel awesome as we do it. Amen? And we're going to take communion together because we are Jesus-centered. And we will always be Jesus-centered as a church. And we're going to announce his death and resurrection as the life of who we are. And then we're going to continue on.